The reality is ADHD, if harnessed properly and under the right conditions, can be an unbelievable superpower in your business and your life. Hey, it's Jason Flatlin here. You're listening to The Jason Flatlin Show, where I'll be sharing everything from sales and webinar tips to improving productivity and reaching your infinite potential. Jason Flatlin here. Let's talk about ADHD and how I manage mine and actually turn it into a superpower. Uh, how I first learned how I had ADHD is an interesting story. I was in uh, Dr. Daniel Amen's office, and he's one of the top psychiatrists in America. Controversial, and in terms of his power of influence over the psychiatric uh, community, or at least the people that are seeking out solutions. He helps a lot of people. He's published a ton of books on ADHD. And he says to me, after doing some tests, he says, Jason, you have ADHD. And I said, no, I don't. And I started to argue with him. And he said, well, here's the deal. He's like, we did these tests and these were your response times. And then I start to argue with him further saying, well, listen, hold on a second. The light was on over here and it was distracting me. And I heard the hum for this noise. And I'm like, oh yeah, I totally got ADHD. <laughs> You're right. I got it. Uh, and and it was actually a relief to me as much as it was anything, because um, I've learned over the years not to identify with labels. So if somebody says, I have ADHD, you have it. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're inferior. Uh, learn to be impervious to the labels that are attached to you because you are more than labels. You are more than the stories that people put on you. You are a soul that is immutable. At least that's kind of my belief. So when I hear those types of labels, I don't think necessarily positively or negatively. I say, okay, now I know a little bit more about what I'm working with. So how can I use this to my advantage? And I thought about creating this video because I saw a statistic that 10% of entrepreneurs have ADHD and it seems to be growing and I think a lot of it is people are learning how to be ADHD that necessarily wouldn't otherwise, but in this hyper crazy uh, stimulus environment that we call modern society, I think people are learning how to be ADHD as opposed to just biologically being predisposed to it. Now, even if you don't have ADHD, you got tendencies, my friends. Uh, so you have the ability to be focused and to be on and alert sometimes. And there's other times you're highly distractible. There are times when you're ready to go. And then there's other times when nothing can get you to go. And so even if you don't have ADHD, I think you're going to get value out of this simply because you have tendencies, as we all do have tendencies to be distracted. And I'm going to show you some of the tricks and techniques that I think it makes sense to learn from somebody who's probably, I mean, I had to work really hard just to have basic focus on something that most people take for granted. It's very natural to them. So since I had to go way down to the root, I've learned some things. I went to hell and back, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I learned along the way, because the reality is ADHD, if harnessed properly and under the right conditions, can be an unbelievable superpower in your business and your life. So here's what we need to do. We need to, first of all, accept that it exists without attaching a story to it. Most people, if they're diagnosed with ADHD, the natural knee-jerk reaction is something is wrong with me, and it's not wrong with you. And the theory on ADHD is in past hunter-gatherer societies, 10% uh, or 5% of the village had to be on lookout and had to be aware of threats. They watched the perimeter to protect the society, to protect the village. And so what individuals thrived? those that were hyper-aware, hyper-focused, those that were easy to spot all of the different conditions that were possibly changing around them. So in past societies, a majority of the human condition 
if you had ADHD tendencies, you were the person that protected society. You had a very esteemed position in the hierarchy of your contribution to your village. And so it's just in modern conditions where we have four walls around us and we have more security physically, which interesting has created less security mentally in a lot of us. Um, you have conditions, uh, you have a tendency that in certain conditions will allow you to thrive and other conditions will limit you no more, no less. So if that is the case and you believe that to be true, how do we minimize those conditions which limit us and how do we maximize those which enhance us? And so a lot of people will say, I can't do blank because of my ADHD or, well, I got ADHD, what can you do about it? Well, that's a death sentence. Uh, that's not a very useful conclusion to have. And so because I have ADHD, what does it allow me to do? The reality is this, the ADHD um, will allow you to be hyper aware of things that are interesting to you. Most things won't be interesting to you. The normal things that are normally interesting to normal people are probably not going to be interesting to you. And some of the things which can cause you harm can be very interesting to you. There's a reason why video games are so interesting to a lot of people that have ADHD because there's a lot of stuff going on at all times. Um, but of course, video game addiction, not the best thing out there. So we say, okay, how can we turn life into a video game in that instance? How can we turn business into a video game? How can we find ways to find things that are exciting, that are uplifting to us and have boundaries around us so that way we don't necessarily go a little too far? And one of the most important places to put boundaries around yourself is your environment. I am absolutely militant about my working environment. I have a computer where I have nine keyboard shortcuts that are mapped. So I can hit command one, command two, command three, and so on and so forth. And those are aligned with the nine most commonly used programs that I have on my computer. So my web, when my web browser is command one, boom, I can pop it up and I can toggle that. So at any given time, if I need like Google Chrome to open up for me, command one, it's there in a tenth of a second, just like that. If I need to go to Keynote, because I create a lot of webinars, that's command six. Boom, I could pop up command six and have it there. It's on, it's on hand. It's there right away for me to use. If I need to go into my computer folder system or my downloads folder, because that's where everything seems to fall into place, command five, boom, it's there just like that. And so I've taken and considered what are my nine most common programs that I'm opening or accessing? And I want to have them instantaneously available because if I'm highly distractible, even an extra millisecond between me and the thing I want to access can derail me. And so over the years, not only have I learned to conjure and pull up these programs just like that, I've also then got another software that allows me to place those programs in different quadrants on my screen. Uh, so I have a keyboard shortcut that says, make this the full screen. Uh, so whatever program, I pop up a program and then I push another keyboard shortcut and it makes it a full screen. Um, there's another shortcut where it makes it half the left half of the screen. So it's 50% of the screen or on the right half, it's 50% of the screen. So I can open up two programs, throw one on the left side of the screen, one on the right side of the screen. So they're side by side, just like that, like boom, boom, boom. Um, three keyboard shortcuts are four. So Program one's a keyboard shortcut. Program two's a keyboard shortcut. Throw program one over to the left. That's a keyboard shortcut. Throw program uh, two over to the right. That's a keyboard shortcut. I can do all that in less than a second. Boom, 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 and it's done. And then I have another keyboard shortcut because I have two monitors. I can throw it on one monitor in the same position or throw it back on this monitor this way and that way. And I can bring this up. I can get this. I can fetch this. I can access this. Because anything that slows me down from wanting information about something and getting it disrupts my train of thought, 
messes with my flow state, uh, allows me to be distractible. So that hyper focus, let me take that and and put it towards something like maniacal. <laughs> like I just, I don't want to wait a tenth of a second longer to get access to that program. I want it instantaneously so I can stay in that state of flow. And so I designed that um, to make that happen. Now, anybody can benefit from that. Um, it's a challenge when I'm working with teams. So this is something I'm trying to practice further because if I'm working with somebody, I'm like, pull up that thing on, on your screen. And it's like to them, it's a normal one second to me. It's like, oh my God, it should take a tenth of a second. Uh, you can pound that over 365 days and you're wasting hours of your life. Uh, but they can be that way because they're not as easily distractible. However, if I then teach that person some tricks, they're always happy because time saved. And that's always a good thing, especially on a necessary task. Now, the second thing I like to do with my environment, and this varies from me to you, so you're going to have to be militant on your own environment to set it up in a way that helps you succeed as much as possible, is I prefer absolute silence or as much of it as possible. Um, if I had to choose where I lived and I, I could redo it, I would have moved somewhere else than I moved because I am in the middle of there's too many neighbors around me. And every single day, somebody's got to take a leaf blower out. The bane of my existence is the leaf blower. My mortal enemy is the leaf blower. I want to find the guy that invented the leaf blower, uh, go back in time and then you know transport him to a location where he's not allowed to invent the thing because that noise is so disruptive to my ability to think. And so as much as possible, I like to work in quiet environments um, because all of the background noise is distracting to me. So I want to minimize it. Other people feed off of that. So if that's you, then you can work in a Starbucks. I couldn't work in a Starbucks. Uh, first of all, I'd end up drinking 10 cups of coffee and probably have a heart attack. And second of all, there would be too much noise around me. It'd be too hard for me to concentrate. The, even the lighting in a room um, can greatly affect my ability to think and to concentrate and so I set it up in such a way where I can, as much as possible, get silence. Or if there is noise, because occasionally I'll like a little bit of noise, like some classical music or something that has some rhythm to it, as opposed to these mechanical noises, which just, I can, it just doesn't feel good to me when I hear them. Um, now, most people, they don't need to do that. But because I can set up these conditions that are ideal for me when I'm in the zone, boy, you better watch out. Something's going to happen. Uh, it's going to get going good. And and so these are for you to figure out. It's your space. Honor it. The work you do in your space is, should be sacred. And so you should treat the space as sacred. It's your own little personal church where the God is productivity in this instance. And so just like in church, they honor it. They have an altar. They have a process. They have a procedure. They have relics. They have all this kind of stuff. Uh, like I used to work in completely plain rooms. Nothing on the wall as little furniture as possible. So there was minimum distraction there. And then over time, I learned that if I put art on the walls, art inspired creativity for me. And so then, you know, I started putting art all over the walls and, you know, now I'm in a studio. So I still have art and everything around me. And I've discovered if I have books around me, that actually enhances my productivity because I feel like I can connect with all these creators and these books who had wonderful things to say and poured their heart and soul into the pages. I can channel that and I can feel that. So I design an environment where I notice these things and I can then be um, at my best and knowing that what normally wouldn't derail somebody, an average person would completely wreck and wipe me out. So I want to get rid of that because the stakes are too high. And then knowing that if I have my conditions set up properly, I will be 10 times as effective as an average person because I'm harnessing and multiplying my ADHD for 
good. The third thing is minimizing the situations where your ADHD can get you in trouble. So this is beyond just environment. So there's some minimization there, but just in general, uh, I know if I go out and socialize and interact in groups, whether it's for business or for pleasure, I will pay the cost later. Um, some people like Ric Flair, <laughs> I always think of Ric Flair uh, is this wrestler, a WWE wrestler. Uh, he, he, it, it's almost sad because he could never be alone with himself. Um, he had certain emotional issues. So he had to go out there and he'd become one of the most socialized, party going person out there. He had so many people he could call on and he would always be out there hanging out with people. And so he draws energy from other people. My friend Joe Polish, who's one of the greatest networkers and connectors that I've ever met, uh, he draws energy from people. Unfortunately, I don't because social interactions are draining because there's so much stimuli going on. There's so many inputs. There's so many variables that are occurring. And no matter what I do, it's hard for me to minimize those variables. Um, it's hard for me to know what to focus on and what to put in the background. And so I obviously like to socialize. I think it's an important part of the human condition to have connection. <laughs> Otherwise, why would we do anything? You know, but I like to impact people from afar with the webinars. I like to impact people through the writing, through communication like this to help minimize some of that. But even more importantly, I have to be very strategic about the groups that I hang out with because I know I'm going to be wiped out the next day. Um, so I don't necessarily shy from it, but I calculate that into the process of, okay, when am I going to be creative? When, when should I be social? How should I book my schedule? And I've learned the hard way because I've overextended myself a few different times and paid the price in ways in which I became exhausted, became broken down, and I wasn't in my zone of resilience anymore. And I wasn't in my optimal creativity uh, where I felt really good with the world. And then you get anxiety and on and on and on and on. Um, here's another issue that I have, and I think we all have this, but ADHD people tend to, tend to suffer from this even more, is they, they tend to want to major in minor things. Because nothing seems minor to them. Everything seems major. So it's just as easy to spend four hours on the slightly tweaking design of a landing page as it would be to spend four hours creating an information product. Um, in most instances, one of those things is going to be significantly more important than the others. Like the IP that you're creating, the intellectual property, is significantly more important than the package that you put it in. But the tendency is to want to become obsessive over the IP or obsessive over the packaging, whatever captures your eye first or whatever tickles your fancy for that moment. And so I have spent hours obsessing over fonts, hours obses obsessing over color schemes, uh, hours obsessing over even programming. Um, and, and it's hard for me to even to this day that tendency like everything. I want to just be, I want to get into it on everything. I want to get underneath everything. I want to break everything down and understand all of its mechanics. And I can't do that. Um, it's not good for the audiences that I wish to serve because I'm spending too much time focusing on the things that are not going to impact them, where I should be devoting that time to the things that will impact them. Because the more impact I have for them, the more impact it has for me, the better I feel. Uh, and so like with, with YouTube is a great example of this is I had to just outsource a majority of it because I'd want to be excellent at every part of it. And I'd end up being excellent at none of it. If you look at past YouTube history, I went years without posting videos uh, because I just, I didn't know how to separate what I'm good at and what I should focus on versus the rest of it. Um, and that's a challenge. So if you're starting out, you want to try to pick places where 
the minor stuff doesn't even show up. So you can completely eliminate it from even possibly distracting you. Or if it does, you have to start learning these processes as I did to constantly check in and say, is this a major thing or is this a minor thing? If it's a minor thing, I say, I got to get, I got to get this off my plate as soon as possible. So either got to just get it done as minimal, sufficiently acceptable as I can possibly do, or just ignore it and ship it. So a minor thing is proofreading. So I've, I've sent out sales letters that have made millions of dollars that had more grammatical and typographical errors than you could imagine, (laughs) but they worked. Why? Because the heart of the letter and the audience it was aimed at mattered far more than the proofreading. Then later you get the team and then you get the process where somebody can proofread it for you. But if I go back and start proofreading it, I'm going to get too distracted and I'm still going to miss the typos or I'm going to get too distracted and be like, okay, I can change this word ever so slightly and I can make this a more active sentence as opposed to a passive sentence. Uh, I can make you know, start writing in a rhythm over here and you're like, uh, okay, forget it. Uh, <laughs> it's done with throw it away you've already lost it at that point in time uh so minimizing the minor things not allowing them to enter your world as much as possible and then when they do being aware of them so you can get away from them and, and keep going back to the major things as much as you possibly can and then again for all of this it's it's that similar hyperstructure. Uh, A lot of people are resistant to structure because they believe it limits their freedom. The reality is structure creates freedom. And so when I can create a structure where I say, I only have two hours and I can only use 20 pages to create this product, how would I do it? When I have those very tightly defined boundaries, which are arbitrary, I just made them up. That's when I get very creative with the solution. That's when it forces me to neglect the minor things and to really optimize the major things. That's when it allows me to separate the noise from the signal, what matters versus what really matters. And so creating these artificial constraints where I don't have the ability to optimize any further than a limited scope because of these artificial structures I've put in place, that more than anything actually makes me more creative It makes me more productive and it improves the quality of my work. So where can you put these these limitations on to create more unlimiting potential? How about that one? And then the last one is, man, self-care is everything. (laughs) I mean, it's everything for everybody, but for an ADHD person, it is is optimal. Um, So you have to, nutrition can play a massive role. If If my nutrition is off, my ADHD just tends to ratchet up. If my nutrition is on, um, then my ADHD isn't in the driver's seat anymore. It's merely in the passenger seat. Uh, It's interesting because nutrition is a drug. Food is a drug. Uh, It can create different biochemical reactions in the body, similar to um, prescription medication. And so people take prescription medication. And for some people, you know, if there's anything prescription medication works for, it's ADHD. It's one of the most effective, one of the very few places where there is an overwhelming amount of evidence that for certain people, not everybody, prescription medication has massive upside with minimum downside. Um, So ADHD uh, prescription medication presents about the strongest case you could possibly make and one of the few cases you can make where it's compelling. However, with that said, there's always trade-offs. Uh, Eating healthy, what's the trade-off there? Um, The trade-offs are this. It may cost a little bit more, but you'll make more money, so it should actually be cheaper. Um, It just costs a little bit more up front. 
And the second thing about nutrition is you sacrifice some, some short-term sense gratification of the taste buds to live a lot more enriching quality of life. Those are the only really downsides. Maybe it takes a little bit longer to prepare as well, but again, the energy you get will save you time in the long run. And so you can affect a lot of the biochemistry through nutrition as opposed to relying on artificial means. You have less downside and the upside is, is more vast because not only will it help you specifically in ADHD perhaps, but uh, there's never been a place I haven't found where good nutrition hasn't had a positive impact. Uh, it just, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, and that's one of the things when I was sold on that, it was like, yeah, it's easy for me not to always gratify my taste buds. It's easy for me to skip dessert nine times out of 10 because the cost of dessert is not there. Um, the, you know, being hyper aware of yourself because of your ADHD means you're hyper aware of the inflammation and the distractions inside of your body when the, the chemistry isn't firing, right? You might not know specifically what's going on, but it's distracting. So, so nutrition is important. Exercise is critically important. So you can work out some of that, that, that hyperactivity. Uh, you know, it's no wonder you put a bunch of kids in a room for like six, seven, eight hours a day. You teach them a very, a bunch of very boring stuff. Um, and then they're going crazy and they're wanting to beat each other up <laughs> it, because they have all this built pent up energy with nowhere to go. So exercising out that energy, again, it, it is a way to relieve all of that hyperactivity um, and at the same time, boy, it does give clarity of thought. So it's, it's the same thing with nutrition, right? It's got so many upsides, got no real downsides, especially if you do it correctly, other than some temporary discomfort, uh, which is a little bit of discomfort for a lot of reward, as opposed to a little bit of comfort up front for a lot of discomfort long-term. Um, but then there's a, so many other benefits of, of physical exercise involved and meditation is, is, is critical. Anybody with ADHD, um, if anybody should ever meditate, everybody should meditate. But if there's anybody who should meditate first, if there's like stage four ADHD people, uh, I just made that up like a stage four cancer. This is like critical ADHD. Like we got to save this guy. Otherwise he's going to die soon because his ADHD is going to take over his life and kill him. You need to be meditating right away. Uh, meditation is very challenging for people with ADHD. They think because they think meditation means merely that I have to sit and quiet the mind. You tell that to an ADHD person, ADHD person, they're like, okay, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna fly to the moon tomorrow with you know by flapping my my arms. That's probably more likely to occur than me to sit still and be quiet. So like when I was a Hare Krishna monk um, who had massive ADHD that was able to quiet all that ADHD, is I chanted by saying a mantra. Because I could focus on the mantra. I could say the words. I could feel the beads. I'd chant on these beads and I would, I would say the mantra. And you'd say it over and over and over and over again. Two and a half hours a day to chant 16 rounds was typically the protocol of the time that it would take me. I could really get into that. I could get into the sound vibrations. Um, so, so a mantra can be a very powerful form of meditation. Um, it can help a lot. Saunas and ice baths are another thing that will help you. Because it would take all of that, that energy and specifically apply it in the body as opposed to in the mind, give the mind a break, put it in the body. Okay. So here's the final thoughts to you. Even if you don't have ADHD, uh, consider modeling somebody who has massive ADHD and has learned to channel it into hyper productivity because if anybody has the secrets, it's that person. Uh, I am definitely deep, 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 neck deep into the world of ADHD. And yet I have found a way to utilize the superpower of ADHD 
and also protect myself from the kryptonite that is also in the ADHD. So there's not only hope for you, my friend, if you're highly distractible, I see massive potential in you. So let me know how that works for you. I'll see you in the next video. Hey, Jason Flyland here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you found this helpful at all, please leave me a review. And thanks again and stay tuned for future episodes.